Rabban. Before I begin the dars of Fazal al-Sadaqat, I wanted to issue some clarifications on some things I said yesterday after Zohar in the Bayan on Shukr, because also we have to be very watchful over our tongue, huh, Akbar? And sometimes we also can, and especially when you're speaking so much, I think maybe I speak as much in 10 days and I speak in a few 10 months in this place. Huh? Hmm? So it's important for Sunnah Mutakifin to hear. And it's also important, obviously, for the community members who were there on Sunday to hear. But thanks to digital audio technology, we will be able to cut that part out and insert this part in. So I'm going to redo part of yesterday's talk right now. Alright? And it's important, and I will expand on this a little bit. Uh, in the field of Tasawwuf, we deal with a lot of people. A lot of different people and cases come to us. A lot of different people and cases come to us. So even though I'm 41 years old, but because I've been on this path since the age of 20, even as friends and colleagues and fellow seekers in the path would come to us. And then when our Shaykh, he put this responsibility on my shoulder 14 years ago. So for the past 14 years, people have been coming to us. So we do have a lot of evidence which is called data. Secondly, I myself was a professor, lecturer is appropriate word, as Ismail would remind me. I was a lecturer for five years at Al Khan University, which is Pakistan's leading medical university. Uh, anybody who's at all familiar with Pakistan, the number of medical school graduates who get U.S. residencies from Al Khan, probably more than any South African university. All right? And I taught Islamic medical ethics, and I had a chance to act with many doctors, both in the classroom and out of the classroom, and they discussed many of cases that came to me. Third is, alhamdulillah, we have several, not one or two, several, Psychiatrists who are bad to us in Silsila. One is an MD, PhD, means he has a PhD in psychiatry and a medical degree, and others are just doers in the field of psychiatry. So, what I mentioned yesterday was not out of the blue. So, we let the doctors know that there is some basis and some reason. However, what I think was not clear, and I didn't make it clear, uh, I was talking about the cases that come to me. So, very broadly speaking, you can say there are two types of cases. One is a case which you can call them psychotic. They are definitely psychiatric cases. They are in placed in psychiatric wards. And there's a whole, and I don't even claim to understand the type of treatment that is given to them. I wasn't talking about those cases. So there's no sense in any way that I think the people who are suffering from psychotic, psychosis, are admitted in a psychiatric ward, that they should not go to psychiatrists and they should not take medicine. That's a whole different world altogether. In fact, and literally I can say, and those students of ours know, if any such case ever comes to my attention, I actually refer and have referred, and I have a female, two female PhDs also in this. We refer the men and women. I have actually referred people to psychiatrists. But when they are in that particular class, which you can call, let's say, for lack of just a layman's term, they're a psychiatric case. However, I have had, and I cannot withdraw this statement, I have had many, not one, five, ten. In fact, I got messages last night from people saying 
that thank you that you clarified this, my relative so-and-so, one said about themselves that we had this problem for years, that we were misdiagnosed as having bipolar, and we took these medicines and finally we came off and we were perfectly fine. That doesn't mean, when I say that to you, that I present that evidence to you, that that means there's no such person in the world who actually has bipolar and no such person who needs or benefits from those medicines. So I think the difference maybe was that in this gathering, mashallah, the doctors who are sitting here are, mashallah, alhamdulillah, qualified, skilled practitioners and also pious, believing Muslims. But in the world, in the medical profession, not everybody's like that, right? So we get cases, especially in Pakistan, of some doctors, not that all Pakistani doctors are like this, but some doctors in Pakistan aren't so practicing and believing in their deen. So perhaps for that reason also, they may not accept the perspective of tazkiyah and tasawwuf or not understand that certain mood disorders, certain, not all, certain mood disorders, certain types of depression, the first course of treatment should not be psychiatric medicine. And there may be some extreme cases where the first course of treatment should be psychiatric medicine. Alright, so this is something I was trying to point out. What should happen if you yourself or any friend or relative of yours seems to be suffering from an issue? And if you remember yesterday in the Bayan, I talked about two different blessings. One was mental health and one was emotional health. My sidetrack in psychiatry was when I was talking about emotional health actually. If anybody suffers from mental health issues, then obviously they must go to a mental health professional. Right? If somebody suffers from emotional issues, so you see that somebody in your family is depressed, it does not necessarily mean, as some people are increasingly being misled to think, that it necessarily means the cure is psychiatric medicine. It also does not mean, as some people misunderstood me yesterday, that it will never be the case that it is to be treated with psychiatric medicine. So two things should be done. Number one, you should go to what in the healthcare they call your primary care physician, and you should go to your primary care sheikh. Ah, oh, you have to do both. You must take that person to a primary care physician. If that primary care physician says that, okay, I want to refer to you a psychiatrist, you should ask that person, that doctor, that doctor, would it be possible that I first go to a psychologist? Is it possible my case can follow that route? That I first try counseling, therapy, psychologist first? If your primary care physician tells you, no, you are in such a critical case that psychology is not for you, counseling is not for you, therapy is not for you, all we feel that the only thing is for you is psychiatry, then if you trust that primary care physician, you may follow their advice and I will not counsel you otherwise. But there is a chance that maybe if you express that interest, your primary care physician might say, okay, fine, we'll send you for cognitive behavioral therapy, we'll send you for some counseling, let's see how that goes and we'll give that a chance. So it's important that you are educated and an informed patient and you can talk to your primary care physician that way. Meanwhile, simultaneously, when you go to your primary care sheikh, right? When you go to your primary care sheikh about these emotional things, which in medical terms they call mood disorder, but even that may be too intense. I would like to tone it down, even a lesser thing. Some emotional disturbance in your heart, right? So there is zikr can help you with that. Dua can help you with that. Istighfar and toba can help you with that. Never think that these things don't have ability or don't have power. So it's quite possible then, quite possible, or not in every case, but like I told you, I practically have many such cases where the combination of toba, istighfar, zikr, dua, plus 
counseling and therapy was able to help that person from that depression, from their emotional problem. Because sometimes the depression is due to some trauma, some event that took place in that person's life, maybe some emotional abuse that they are continually suffering, and therefore it is not due to a chemical imbalance in the brain. The psychiatrist's response would be that I accept that, and I also accept what you said, because when I would talk to them, they accept that there's no diagnostic they run in their brain. However, we have run diagnostics on these chemicals, and we know these chemicals have certain effects on person's moods. So they dampen their mood, they sedate them, they do this. So because this person maybe is in such a level of depression that they may commit suicide, so that's why... We are also not claiming to cure the trauma or abuse that has caused them to be suicidal and the Muslim psychiatrists in particular should acknowledge and accept that there's another process to go with whether through counseling or through spiritual counseling or share or overcome the feelings that arose from that trauma that may have led them to be suicidal or manic depressive in the first case. Dr. Yusuf Kafir again. Huh? Alright. Alhamdulillah. Allah Ta'ala has put doctors in the world to correct the shaykh. And Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala put shaykh in the world to correct doctors. Uh, so, this is a mutually beneficial relationship. So that's beyond the purpose of itikaf. But this much I would say in all professions, it's important that ulama and mashayikh and experts, three types of people, must sit, must share their data, share their experience, learn from each other, correct each other, be able to benefit better because this is an increasing problem in our ummah. There's wide, more widespread depression, increasing depression, increasing sadness and that hampers a person. So as Mashaikh are interested in this because if a person is depressed and out of depression they don't pray, out of depression they don't read Quran, so their akhirat is in danger. So that's why this is an issue that falls under the radar of the ulama and Mashaikh of team. Now, now I fast forward about as much I could show this part one and now since it is 26 Ramadan and we are in the second half of this Ashara so I'm just fast forwarding now to his second half which he has separated out consciously as the second half of Fazahan uh, al-Sadaqat Alright here, now because he's mentioned many ayat to Qur'aniya, ahaditha, nabawiya, kalame, awliya, and akwali sahaba, and kalame, awliya. Now he begins some very interesting comments. So actually I want to share his comments with you today, rather than actually do any darsi hadith, and darsi Qur'an, or darsi hadith. To Hazrat Shaykh Al-Hadith, Malamam Zakariya, writes, that wealth is beneficial as well as harmful. It both a cure as well as a poison. Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, and I had done that hadith for you earlier, that for every ummah, there has been a trial and a temptation. The fitna of my ummah lies in wealth. Hence it is necessary to guard oneself against this temptation and its harmful effects. If someone possesses a poisonous snake, then he makes an antidote, and that antidote, if it is made, will be of use both for himself and for other people. And if he fails to do this, then the poison of the snake will prove fatal both for himself and for other people. Then you quote Imam Ghazali Ramtale, who makes a few points. So I wanted to read actually those points to you today. 
Imam al-Ghazali writes that worldly wealth, mal, property, possessions can be at once simultaneously both beneficial and harmful for the person who possesses that wealth. Again, he uses that analogy. Wealth is like a snake. We see that whoever knows the proper charms, by charms are meant the if you ever see the snake man show and he has the way to keep the snake under his control. So anyone who knows the proper way to do that can take hold of a snake, can even remove its fangs from the snake and prepare an antidote from the snake. Well, this was a principle of classical herbal medicine and to some extent modern homeopathy that the cure for something lies in of itself. So they would create the antidote for snake venom from the snake itself, Right? So that requires a lot of skill to do that. You have to do it with a live snake according to that method of medicine. Doctors, But if a layman were to catch hold of a snake in imitation of the snake trainer, so if he was to say, okay, I saw him do that and hold the snake, and so if he tries to do that, the snake would certainly bite him to death. So this is also teaching, and the ulama understood this generally, Right? Similarly, in order to be immune from the harmful effects of wealth, a person must take care about the following points. So these are the points that Imam al-Ghazari mentioned in the Ihya al-Muddin. Number one, he must consider and know for certain the real purpose for which wealth was created by Allah Ta'ala so that he may keep that purpose in mind. So what is that purpose? Allah Ta'ala created wealth for our sustenance, for our livelihood, for our self-support, for support of family, and then for khidmat of humanity as a means of getting reward through sadaqah. So wealth was created as a means to attain Jannah. Wealth was created as a means to attain Jannah. Number two, he should be vigilant about the sources of his wealth. Where is he earning from? What's the source of his income? What is the revenues of the employer? And he should be aware of even combining, mixing halal wealth with haram wealth. And that includes, and this is one of Imam Zali's major topics he would write about, includes accepting a gift that may actually be a bribe in disguise. Because he used to really reprimand ulama for taking any type of gifts and patronage from the elite and ruling class, lest that be understood implicitly to curry their favor with you so that you may be more lenient with them. Hmm? Or asking favors that involve yourself degrading your status. Again, this original work, Ihya Ulum, was written for ulama. Third, the person should not put aside any amount beyond their actual requirements and appropriately spend any such extra amount immediately. This comes on the topic of saving. Imam al-Ghazali had a bit of a strong position on this issue because towards the end of his life when he was writing Ihyal al-Muddin and he himself had been such a person of zuhud, he had left his teaching position for 10 years, 2 years he traveled and he made the zikr of Allah Ta'ala then he returned but for 8 years also he didn't work so because it was his own personal practice and he saw with yakin that this level of abstinence from the world is possible so he would try to push ulama that you should also be like this but you are neither ulama, we are neither ulama of that time, nor are we living in that time, right? But this was Imam Ghazali's level of yakin. Some ulama have said that how much can you save? Some people ask this question. There's no 100% definitive answer. Some ulama put forth the possibility, put ventured forth a possibility that you should save up to two years. 
In other words, how much money would be required for you to fulfill all of your own and your household and any other who are dependent on you or who are supported by you and to fulfill their needs through a reasonable level of comfort, not bare minimum necessity, a reasonable level of comfort, which you can see from your own past history how much had you spent in the last two years, right? So let's say somebody says, okay, in the last two years on everything, rent, this, that, travel combined, I spent $60,000. So they would say, okay, then you can keep $60,000 of savings with you. But that was a loose guidance, that of fatwa. It's not haram to keep 61000 It's not haram to keep more than that. But this was a general rule of thumb that some people adopted. But the spirit of this the spirit of this is definitely there, that there should be some type of rule of thumb. means that we are not been sent to this earth to really amass wealth and amass wealth and have large estates and large holdings and large balances and leave from this world, leaving such massive amounts of inheritance when in that same world that we left, there remains such massive amount of poverty. So definitely that now where you draw the line, we don't know. There's no way anybody can tell you the exact line. But definitely you have to pull the line down. So we are not here. The spirit of Deen teaches us very clearly. We are not here to simply amass and amass and amass wealth upon wealth upon wealth. And because when we die, that wealth will not benefit you in any way. Right? But if you die and you had left, even this concept of Basiya also, Right? So some people say, that how can I deprive my inheritors? Right? Well, what the Prophet meant, when he, and he put a limit on this, that you can only bequeath, make a bequest, means leave in a will instruction up to one-third of your total assets, property, estate, to somebody other than your relatives. So you could leave one-third for deen, you can leave one-third for relief organizations, up to one-third total. At least two-thirds must go to your inheritors. However, that's for your instructions about when? After you die. In your own lifetime, how much can you give in charity? In the deen, 100% permissible. You can give as much as you want. You could even give everything away in your, in your lifetime. There again, the line is pulled back. That they say, no, the spirit is that you shouldn't give absolutely everything away if you have, if they're inheritors of yours who are in danger of being destitute and poor and your inheritance was actually given to you for this, your wealth was given to you by Allah Ta'ala for this reason as well, that when you pass away, when they get it in inheritance, they will be removed from poverty. But if your inheritors are your four sons, and your four sons are in your lifetime, you've given each one a house, and each one a car, and each one this, and each one a business. So that means now that if your inheritance, the rest of your what you have amassed, if you hold it with you and then it becomes inheritance, it's not something they need. They are now fully set up. So in that person's case, not just the ledger, but even the spirit would allow that they can give all their money away in their lifetime because they don't have as such any inheritors that are needy or dependent on that inheritance. I hope you understood. It's a very technical thing. All right? Very technical thing. Khair, a person should have the best of intention and do whatever you reasonably, comfortably feel that you can do. But normally for people, that is more. Most of us have drawn the line too close. means most of us have some wealth amassing that we do and we give less charity than we're capable of. I would actually say probably the vast, overwhelming majority of believers give less charity than they're capable of. And what does that mean? What will that translate to? They will get less darajat in Jannah than they were capable of. 
That's what it means. They get less close to Allah Ta'ala than they were capable of. That's what it means. Alright? Next, uh, there are only four point, five points. Point number four, the person should be vigilant about proper spending of money and beware of extravagant or forbidden expenditure. Khair forbidden, so that's clear. Right? You cannot spend your money to do something haram, to buy something haram, to support something haram. What is extravagant? So this is israf. So the golden rule Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, Kulu washrabu wa la tusrifu That you can eat and you can drink, but don't go to excess. Right? So excess means what? So I'll give you an example of excess. That a person has a car that works perfectly fine and is just two or three years old, but he's driving down and he sees the dealership and he parks the car and he walks in and he says, oh, this one looks interesting to me. Let me buy this and trade this in. And you, oh, you take whatever value you want. I don't, I don't, I'm a rich man. What difference does it make to me? You can buy my trade-in model at even lower than market value, right? So is this something you really needed? Was this really the first and foremost spending of your money? Now in the first purchase, I have no problem. You can buy a car. And actually, even Mashaikh, and I'll, be, I'll share with you so honestly, even I myself was surprised. <laughs> I thought myself, thought initially, that the Sof is going to say, no Mercedes, no BMW, no Audi, no Volvo, only Toyota. SubhanAllah. <laughs> huh? Huh? Only Toyota, only Honda. I myself thought that's what the Mashaikh would be teaching people. But actually, then I learned that our Mashaikh teaches that, look, if Allah Ta'ala has given a person in abundance, they may spend on themselves. So excess isn't the first one. So if the first car they choose to get a nicer car, let's say BMW, I don't know, let's say BMW is double the price of a Toyota. So that's something that they allow. But Rolls Royce, they say no. Hmm? Right? And second, it's the way you spend. So the first car, that's the car you will be driving in. That's the car maybe you will be traveling for Deen. That's the car maybe you spend 50,000, 100,000 miles in. So for that, as much Allah Ta'ala has blessed you, you can make it comfortable. But it's these extra things. So sometimes we go to people's homes and we see that extra car. Oh, the extra Porsche, like they drive it once or twice a year. That's Israf. <laughs> that's Israf. If you want to do that, no problem. Even I'll get you. You can rent a Porsche for a day. No problem. If there's one day like that and you feel like driving a sports car, do you need to spend $100,000 and keep it parked when people are dying of hunger, when you're only going to drive it once anyway? Or rather you give that money in charity, the day you feel like driving it, Allah Ta'ala has given you money, I accept it. You rent the Porsche and you drive that day. You understand now what Israf is? So again, there's no specific, you know, like we don't want to take your questions on this, there's no specific line. It's about your spirit. It's about your spirit. But you don't want to be excessive. So actually, yes, I've seen these mashayikh of They let a person have the nice car and live in the nice home, but then there's a certain reason. So the overall principle basically is that you want to learn to... Let me put it this way. I'll give you a little golden rule. Learn to set limits on your dunya so that your akhirah can become unlimited. Set caps. Set ceilings. Hmm? Like we talk about this in economics, no ceilings, caps. To set limits, caps, ceilings, where you set it, that's between you and Allah Ta'ala. But at least set it so you can tell this to Allah Ta'ala, Ya Allah Ta'ala, I put a limit on my dunya. Where I put the limit, Allah Alam, but I put a limit. So learn to set limits on your dunya so inshallah you can get an unlimited akhirah. Alright? 
Point number five, Imam Ghazari Malatana, is that when received, five, fifth and last point, cite, cited in this work of Hazrat Sheikh Ladis while receiving money, spending it, or putting it aside to the reasonable extent, the person must be sincere in their intention, both when they earn money, and when they spend money, and when they save money, and in all circumstances, all spending, all earning, all spending, all saving, must be done to seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Must be done for seeking the pleasure of Allah ta'ala. Then he gives example, that if you keep some extra money for personal use and personal comfort, the person should do so with the intention that I want to gain strength from this comfort and ease, I want to drive strength so I can make more amal on deen, I can make more amal saleh, I can make more ibadah. And if they save something extra, they should say, I'm keeping this aside so that I may donate that for the sake of Allah Ta'ala and to earn his pleasure. So these were five points of Imam Ghazari Mullah Ta'ala that Hazrat Shaykh Ladis Mullah Muhammad Zakaria Khan chose to open up his second part of Fazal al-Sadaqat and then inshallah remaining few days will then give you some scattering of his pearls of wisdom that are in that second volume. Now we begin Khatamat Khwajagan. Make those of you who are new, you can take the sheet. If you are old and there is some new person next to you, you may pass them the sheet of this thicker. نرشيف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah La hawla wa la illa اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم
اللهم <laughs> Make short Mahakama. Close your eyes, bow your head. Make near that Ya Rab, I want the nood of all these ayat in my heart. I want the nood of all of Quran in my heart. I want all the nood of all salawat, the root sheaf in my heart. My heart is yearning for you. My heart is turning to you. My spiritual heart, my qalb, is silently calling your name. That my qalb is calling Allah, Allah, Allah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah Make dua subhanallah minana wahab Allahumma salli ala sinuna Muhammad wa ala ala sinuna Muhammad wa mabarik wa sallam Ya Rabbi Kareem Sinda sawab Rewarda diz ayat Qur'aniya Kalimati tayyiba Salawati mubaraka To Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu alayhi sallam To all of the Anbiya Mursaleen Alayma salam ajma'in To the Sahaba Ikram Radiyallahu ta'ala Anum ajma'in To all the Sahaba Of all of the Anbiya Radiyallahu ta'ala Anum ajma'in To all of the Siddiq 
صدیقین شہداء صالحین علماء اولیاء مشائخ یعنی بکریم تو محسرین محدثین فقہ اصولین تو مشائخ اولیاء کاملین اسپیسلی سلسلانی نقشمندی چشتیہ یعنی بکریم چشتیہ Qadriya, Surawardiya, Shattariya, Shadliya, Kibriya, and all of the rightly guided awliyai haq, Ya Rabb, and send the reward of these recitations to Aba'una wa Ajdaduna, to all of our parents and forefathers, to all of our children and descendants, to all of our families and loved ones, to all of our dear ones and near ones, to all of our teachers and students, to all of our neighbors and colleagues. Ya Rabbi Kareem, send the sawab to all of the mu'mineen and mu'minat, all the muslimin and muslimat, the ummas of past, our ummas, the past of this ummah, the present of this ummah, the future of this ummah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, accept this niyat from us and make it a means of earning your total rahmah, your total maghfirah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us people of sadaqah, Ya Rabb. Make us people of charity, Ya Rabb. Take out the love for money from our heart. Take out the love for dunya from our heart. Take out the love for creature comforts from our heart. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want the luxuries of deen. We want the luxuries of akhirah. We want the luxury of taqwa. We want to have higher taqwa, greater taqwa, more refined taqwa. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us the refined luxuries of this world. Protect us from the excesses of the dunya. Grant us the refined luxuries of deen. Protect us from the excesses of the dunya. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask in this blessed month. Ya Rabbi Kareem, five days have passed. Five days are left. Make us go deep, Ya Rabbi. Let us go deep in this itikaf. Deep in your zikr. We have fasted 26 days now. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make it la'alukum tatakoon. Make it begin to happen. Ya Rabb, adorn us with that taqwa, enshad us with that taqwa, surround us with that taqwa, imbibe us with that taqwa. Ya Rabbi Kareem, on this night of the 27th night that is coming, Ya Rabbi Kareem, make it a night of Laylatul Qadr for us, make it a night of Maghfir for us, make it a night of Rahmah for us, make us a night of Itku Minanar, emancipation of Jahannam from us. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Rabbana takammal minna innaka anta sameeul alim, wa tumbu alayna innaka anta التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا رحم الراحمين آمين إن شاء الله تعالى everybody should take their rest so you'll be fresh إن شاء الله tonight for another odd night look at the karm of Allah سبحانه every other day giving us these odd nights سبحان الله May Allah Ta'ala able us to do Qadr or Layl to Qadr wherever, whichever night it may be. Jazakumullah. I normally take this night off myself also from the meetings so we can also get some chance to make some worship in Ibadav and Laspantana. There may be a couple of you I managed to do but then all these meetings will inshallah resume from tomorrow Fajr inshallah. From tomorrow Fajr inshallah. And inshallah once this beyond is done we'll also a bit more relaxed and we get more time to spend with you inshallah.